Hey everybody, welcome to the X Report. I am Raven X, and alongside me, as always, is Big E, aka Ethan Tate, aka soon to be father of E2. How you doing today, Ethan? I'm good. Um, thankful that we're gonna have a little boy. Um, hopeful that he's a sports fan, but if he isn't, I'm gonna support him in whatever he's into. You know what? That's that's a great way to look at it. I mean, the only bad thing with regards to sports, long as he's not a Celtics fan, because, you know, boo the Celtics, not a Cowboys fan, and preferably not a Steelers fan, but I can live with it. I think your kid's going to be in great shape. I mean, he's going to be the next great Titans running back or linebacker. I'm already speaking into existence. Appreciate that. No problem. But in addition to, of course, talking about football we got some fun conversations going we're gonna look at what's the expected role for michael parsons since the cowboys have signed anthony barr we're gonna break down the afc and nfc east and we're gonna pick two available nba free agents we would want on our favorite teams but before we get to any of that please be sure to check out the xreport.net i repeat the xreport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow expert writers previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our youtube channel channel entitled the x report so without further ado let's go ahead and get started now last week ethan and i discussed whether or not we thought deontay johnson was worth 20 million dollars and it's clear that the steelers did not think so however he still did sign an extension Signed a two-year, $36.71 million extension. So not exactly $20 million a year, but he's still making solid money. Ethan, how do you feel about this deal? Uh, I think it's a good deal for all parties. I think for the Steelers, you were able to sign him to an extension. And and hopefully he's able to live up to the um, the potential that he's shown. Because he's shown potential to be a great wideout. He just had trouble problems with drops and for him it's one of those things that he's just signing a short deal so if he does them up to his potential he could potentially get a payday in two years yeah i agree with you i think that and kind of just looking at it we know the steelers are pretty cheap when it comes to re-signing offensive players particularly wide receivers so the fact that he was able to get this money and stay with a pretty solid team i think really works out in his benefit and then yeah i mean in a couple years if he does prove to be one of the top players at the at his position in the league, he can go ahead and make even more money, kind of similar to what we were talking about with DK and Debo when they signed three-year contract extensions. So congratulations to him. Other extensions across the board, my Baltimore Ravens have kept the GOAT, Justin Tucker, until re-signing him to a four-year contract extension worth $24 million and up to $17.5 million in guaranteed. So happy he's still around. Uh, the San Francisco 49ers have signed wide receiver Willie Sneed, offensive lineman Jordan Mills, and Cowboys, I like this signing a lot and bringing in Anthony Barr. And apparently in signing Anthony Barr, this also is going to open up opportunities for Micah Parsons to be a bit more of a pass rusher. So, Ethan, we saw a great year for Micah Parsons as an edge rusher last year, getting double-digit sacks. If he does take on a bit more of a full-time pass rusher role, how many sacks do you think he can end up with? Uh, I think he, he's going to end up with another double-digit sack season simply because, like, one of the great things about Michael Parsons was that he had so much versatility and he brought so much versatility to their defense. But when you sign a guy like Anthony Barr, who in his own right is a very versatile player and he's a proven player 
in this league, you can't throw Michael Parsons solely as a pass rusher. He's an athletic freak of nature, and he can he can produce. And I think that that's something that you can utilize for uh, throughout the rest of the season to maybe help fortify that defense simply because, like, we don't know what we did. We had questions about their pass rush going into it with a lot of people outside of Michael Parsons. But now that you're able to fully put him in a pass rushing role, that might help your pass rush altogether. That's true. All right, so last season in his rookie year, he had 13 sacks, which led the team. So, in your opinion, over under 15 sacks if he plays edge rusher, let's say 75% of the time? I'm going to say under. I'll give him, like, 13 and a half, 14 sacks. I can see that. And the reason, yeah, the only reason being he just has film on him now. Yeah, that's true. And I think that even though Anthony Barr is a very – solid player especially at this point of the offseason to get I think that there are still a couple of questions with regards to him in coverage he's not necessarily the best there and so because I think that Michael Parsons is still going to play a substantial role at middle linebacker so I think the 13-14 range is pretty good for him but all right let's talk Aaron Rodgers a quarterback who we all know is one of the best in the league and he had an interesting source uh, for what he deemed to be why he's been so sex- successful over the past couple of years. In a recent press conference, he said to me, one of the core tenets of your mental health is that self-love. That's why ayahuasca, that's what ayahuasca did for me. It has helped me to see how to unconditionally love myself. Now, ayahuasca, for those of you who do not know, is a psychedelic, I want to say it's a plant-based drug, but don't quote me on that. So it's very rare that you see athletes credit drugs or at least, yeah, I'll call it a drug. Or at least psychedelics for their success. So, Ethan, are you that surprised that Aaron Rodgers is a bit of a hippie? And do you think that, I guess, it's a bit of a hip, a bit hypocritical for him to be crediting a psychedelic when other players get suspended for using other drugs? Uh, so to answer the first question, it's not surprising at all to know that um, Aaron Rodgers is a bit of a hippie. I mean, just this past, just this past beginning of training camp, this is the same guy that came to training camp dressed as Nicholas Cage from Con Air. That lets me know a lot, you know, of yourself. Um, I do have an issue with him, like, publicly saying, like, I took the, uh, uh, I can't pronounce the Psychedelic. word. Psychedelic. Psychedelic. Um, and it helped improve his play because in a in a time and age where we have athletes is preferably in the NBA where they aren't being punished for marijuana use and things of that nature. But yeah, you have guys in the NFL that still get punished for it. And to come out and say like, he used that, like to me that's kind of like a double standard of like, okay, you don't want people to smoke weed, but you're cool with people to do this. Yeah. Um. So I have a slight issue with it. Yeah, I think it's a bit hypocritical, though ayahuasca is not a psychedelic or a drug that you hear about often. Honestly, prior to the last few months, I wouldn't even have known how to pronounce that word or knew what it was. So I do think it's a bit hypocritical, but I don't think the league's going to do anything about it. Just because I guess when they think of drugs, they think of, of course, like weed or cocaine, heroin, things like that. So ayahuasca and other psychedelics probably just kind of fall under the radar. But I guess, I mean... 
you can't really test for it so i'm sure that's something else that comes into play but yeah i do think it's a bit hypocritical as well but i don't think the league is really going to do anything about it per se but all right let's go ahead and look at some training camp injury injuries because unfortunately they take place for example my baltimore ravens are losing outside linebacker vince beagle beagle who was expected to compete for a roster spot after he has torn his achilles and the Los Angeles Rams are having a couple of questions with Matthew Stafford after it seems that he is dealing with the with bad tendonitis in his right uh, throwing arm and his elbow per se. Apparently, he hasn't even really been able to practice as much, or some of his passes have come out not so pretty because of the tendonitis. So, Ethan, with the season literally a month away, are you a bit concerned about um, Matthew Stafford's throwing arm? Uh yes, I'm I'm concerned because simply because we both know that he played a huge part in their success this past season, and when you have a team that who, in my opinion's primary method of like generating offense is the pass game, if you have a quarterback that's having elbow issues on his throwing arm, that should be a big um a big concern going into the start of the season. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you there, especially because, I mean, Matthew Stafford's not getting any younger. I believe he's, what, 33, 34. And, yes, they are coming a terrific Super Bowl year. Offense look dynamic. It doesn't really matter the weapons you have on the outside if your quarterback can't get them the ball. So I'm hoping that it's not going to be a case of him struggling to get the ball downfield. But who knows? We might see instances of that. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to our AFC and NFC East breakdowns, which is honestly probably one of my favorite things we do with regards to the NFL. So for those of you who do not know, we break down each division on a case-by-case basis in such categories such as underrated teams, most overrated teams, our favorite players, players who are in for a prove-it year, who we expect to break out, rookies to watch, and our bold predictions. So it's a lot that goes into it. So let's go ahead and get started with the AFC East. Ethan, I'll let you get us kicked off. Who is the most underrated team in the division? Uh, being honest, I am going to say the Washington Commanders. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I think that everybody's been focused on kind of the whole uh, Carson Wentz thing because, I mean, he is a bit of a polarizing figure. But, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, he did have an MVP caliber year a few years back. He wasn't terrible last year with the Colts, but everybody remembers that Week 18 game that they lost to the Jags. He's never going to be able to live that down. But, I mean, overall, they got a nice squad, especially once Chase Young gets back. Their pass rush should be solid. I think they'll be cool. So, yeah, I'm in agreement with you. Um, In terms of the most overrated team, I'm going Cowboys. If you ask me comparing their roster this year to last year, I think that it's worse than it was a year ago. You lose Amari Cooper. Um, your defense is not as stout. Um, offensive line is another big hole. You lose Connor Williams, Lyle Collins. It's a pretty much makeshift squad, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And I think that people seem to forget that just because they're the Cowboys. Every kind, There's always such high expectations on them, even though it's not realistic. Yeah, I'm in the ground with the Cowboys. I honestly feel like every year we do this, we always end up saying the Cowboys. Yeah, because for the Cowboys, they think they're going to go to the Super Bowl, and they got to try to make it out the first round of the playoffs first. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to our favorite player in the division. You want me to start? Yeah, you got it. Uh, this is easy. 
Jordan Davis. Oh, look at the rookie growing on you already. Uh, for me, I'm going Saquon Barkley. I know the numbers have not necessarily been there the past couple years, but I love Saquon since he came into the league, and I think this will hopefully be the bounce-back year for him. All right, this is a fun one. Prove it year. Which quarter – I mean, not quarterback, but which player – has the most at stake this year. And honestly, I could have said any quarterback in the NFC East that's not um, Dak Prescott, but I'm going to say Daniel Jones. I think that of the teams right now, they, at least the Eagles and Commanders, seem pretty set that they're going to go into the year with Jalen Hurts and Carson Wentz, respectively, as their quarterbacks. For the Giants, they're still hoopla about them possibly getting Jimmy G or someone of that nature. So Daniel Jones has to have a big year, or it seems like he's going to be on his way out. And truthfully, I don't see him starting for another team, barring some sort of injury after this year, if he does not play well. Um, for me, I'm going to actually say your guy Saquon. That's fair. I think that, yeah, I just think that he came back. He's had injuries. He came back last year when he was on the field. He underperformed, and I think that with a lot of the attention going towards Daniel Jones, he's kind of flown under the radar because, like, in my personal opinion, he's been – labeled as a star player by name but not by production and I think he has to get back to their production to uh, garner their starters to test his name yeah I think you're absolutely right especially because I mean people like to forget everybody talks about Baker but Saquon was the second overall pick in the 2018 draft Looking back, there's no way he would have got drafted that high. And there's even questions if he would still even be a first-round pick. So he talks about this is the year that he wants to show everybody why he was drafted that high. It's easy to say it. It's a whole nother thing to actually do it. All right, who do you think is breaking out this year in the division? Who do I think is breaking out? Hmm. Talking about player or a light team? Player. Player? I'm going to be honest. I'm going to say Jalen Hurts. Mm-hmm. I think that you personally you, you you trade for AJ Brown as much as it hurts me as a Titans fan, but you give him a big time weapon. I think the Lante Smith is gonna have a um significant improvement in year two. He also has a security blanket at tight end. And granted their running back situation in my opinion is in is in the air. But you have some capable running backs and you have some running backs that are also able to uh, make plays in the receiving game. So I think I'm going to go with Jalen. That's fair. I'm going to go to another giant. I'm going to say Xavier McKinney. He's a really solid safety coming out of Alabama. This will be his third year in the league. And we've seen some nice flashes from him early on. I think that with Jabril Peppers out of that defensive backfield, somebody's going to have to step up in that leadership and physicality role. And I think that Xavier McKinney can be just the guy to do it. And they're really going to need him to, especially with the loss of uh, James Bradbury at cornerback. All right, rookie of the year for me. This is tough. Because, I mean, there's quite a few rookies um, in this division that I think are going to make a big impact. But I'm going to say Jahan Dotson, wide receiver for the Commanders. We all know how great Terry McLaurin is. But, unfortunately, it just seems that Washington has not been able to put a good um, – Bat Robin to his Batman. And I think that Jahan Dotson can be that guy. Had the best hands of any wide receiver in this year's draft class. And, I mean, he's going to need them playing with Carson Wentz. And I think that he's going to end up having a really productive year. Um, You know where I'm going with this. I'm going with Jordan Davis. I want him to win all the rookie awards. 
I think I've watched a lot of like footage of him over the course of training camp, and like he's looking like he's the real deal. Like he's dominating starters. He's obviously the video that just came out of him basically decleating the second one of their second string linemen. I think he's going to be a great D, a great D tackle. And it's funny because in actuality, he's probably not even going to start because, like, the Eagles' D-line is so, like, stacked. Yeah. In your opinion, how many sacks do you think he gets? I think he gets, like, maybe six. Oh, that's that's a great year for a D-tackle. That's that's dope. Um, yeah. Um, I like Jordan Davis a lot, even though he's not my favorite Eagles rookie. My favorite Eagles rookie is N'Kobe Dean, but I don't know how much N'Kobe Dean we're going to see uh, with him battling a couple of injuries. All right, last but certainly not least, bold predictions. What's your bold prediction for the NFC East? Bold prediction? Uh, Tony Pollard is going to finish this type of starting job worse than Zeke this year. You know what? I got another running back one. I said that Kenneth Gainwell is going to be the Philadelphia Eagles lead back by week eight. So showing love to some Memphis running backs. All right, let's go ahead and turn things over. Let's talk the AFC East, looking at the Patriots, Bills, Dolphins, and Jets. Starting things off with our most underrated team. Who you got? Most underrated? I'm going to say the Jets. I, I like what they've done this, this past year with their O-line. I think they have a, a better O-line. They've given Zach Wilson some capable weapons, so I think he's going to have an improvement this year. And I think that they like they found a coach that they could buy into. Um, so I think that there, a lot of people are still kind of like overlooking them. You know what? We are in agreement again. I also have the Jets. I think that you factor in what they were able to do with their offensive line, bringing in Lincoln Tomlinson, uh, getting Makai Becton back healthy offensively, just getting guys like Brees Hall, nice receivers, defense. I mean, just across the board, I think the Jets have definitely had one of the strongest offseasons of any team, and I think that's going to pay dividends. Um, In regards to my most un- overrated team, I got to go the Dolphins. I know everybody is really hyping up the Tyreek Hill addition and how that's just going to fix everything, but we've seen it time and time again. It doesn't really matter who your receivers are or who your weapons are if your quarterback cannot get the job done. Not to mention, I don't necessarily trust their run game, so no, I'm not sold on the Dolphins just yet, especially with the thoughts of them being a serious playoff contender. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm going to agree with the Dolphins. I think you know, with the questions around Tua, yes, you bring in Tyreek Hill, but bring in a, if you have a great weapon and receiver, you don't have a um, trustworthy quarterback. To me, this like fools go. Um, I like the addition of Raheem Mostert, but the only thing with Raheem Mostert is how long is he going to stay healthy? Um, so yeah, I'm in agreement with the Dolphins. All right, who's your favorite player in the division? Favorite player in the division is actually a tie with Christian Wilson, Wilkins, and um, Christian Baltimore. All right, a couple D tackles. I shouldn't be surprised. Mine is close. It's two Bills. Um, I'm going to give the extra to Davius White. You know I love my LSU guys. But with Von Miller being there too, 
He's he's a very, very close second. But all right, who's got a prove-it year? I mean, I'm probably going for the low-hanging fruit, but it's obviously Tua Tagovailoa. I mean, Tyreek Hill talked about it on his podcast. For quarterbacks going into year three, that pretty much much makes or break you. If Tua does not explode or have a terrific year, especially with all the resources that the Dolphins have brought in, it's pretty clear that he's going to be on his way out or being replaced. So I think it's got to be Tua, or at least for me. Uh, actually, I'm going to be honest. I think it's, it's three quarterbacks. I think it's Tua, Matt Jones, and Zach Wilson. And and the reason being, I'm going to explain why. So Matt Jones, he had a he had a successful season with New England. He um, I think he played better to a lot of people's expectations. But the one thing that he didn't do was he never pushed the ball down the field. He he didn't really make big plays, big splash plays down the field. And I think in order to be someone that like consistently wins in the NFL, you're gonna especially in the early parts of your career, you're gonna have to push the ball downfield. As far as Zach Wilson, we we he had flashes, but those flashes weren't consistent and he has like I watched I watched the um, YouTube video Sean film with him, and he had moments where he made like really bad reads, so he just held the ball too long, and he set up his receivers for failure. Is he with the improved offensive line? Is he going to be able to correct those things to really make that next leap? And as far as Tua, like we stated, he has weapons with um, Jalen Waddle and Tyree Hill. But is he actually going to be able to utilize those weapons and um and improve um his overall record as a starter? So I actually have all three guys. That's fair, and I mean, kind of touching on Mac Jones a bit. I mean, unfortunately, you look at his personnel. I don't think the Patriots really did him many favors in regards to helping him be able to push the ball downfield. Like, yeah, they got Tyquan Thornton who is a burner, but their offense really isn't predicated on the deep ball, so I wonder how effective he's going to be in that system. All right, but who's breaking out, in your opinion? Who should be a player expected to have a breakout year? Um, Who's breaking out? Mm-hmm. For me, I think it's going to be Christian Baltimore. Okay. Balled out? He had a really good rookie year, and I think he's going to be even better. Um, I'm going to go with another defensive tackle. I'm going Quentin Williams. We just talked about early draft picks, and Quinnen was one of them, was the third overall pick to the Jets. Was he third or sixth? Third? Sixth? Whatever. A couple years ago, he was a really high draft pick for the New York Jets, but unfortunately, he has just not become that superstar that he was expected to be as of yet. However, that can all really change for him, especially when you look at what the Jets have done on the defensive side of the ball. They're going to get Carl Lawson back, a guy that they signed last year but unfortunately missed the year with the torn ACL. They drafted Jermaine Johnson, a guy I love, who's going to help fill out that front seven. So it's going to be so many other guys around that the offensive lines are going to have to put their attention towards where that should open up things for Quinnen and allow him to have his best year yet since uh, coming into the league. But all right, rookie of the year. I'm sticking with the Jets. I'm going Brees Hall. I know that I, you know, I just kind of hyped up a few Jets rookies, but I like Brees Hall a lot. Michael Carter was a solid running back for them last year out of North Carolina, but I think Brees Hall checks every box in terms of what you want out of a successful running back in today's NFL. I think that as soon as they start giving him the bulk of the carries, he's going to take the ball and literally run with it and have a Najee Harris type impact for them. 
Um, for me, rookie of the year coming out of the AFC East. Um, I'm going with James Cook, running back for the Bills. Um, we talked about it several times where we feel like the Bills need to balance out their offense. They're a really pass-heavy offense. And when they do run the ball, they always seem to put the ball in Josh Allen's hand. But I think that they finally found their lead back. And he's a guy that's going to be able to get some receiving yards as well. So I could definitely see him getting anywhere between 800 to 1,000 rushing yards this season. I could see that, especially if they really start to commit themselves to the run. All right. And then bold prediction. What do you have? Bold prediction. Uh, my bold prediction is Josh Allen is going to cement himself as one of the top two best quarterbacks this season. I can see that. I mean, he's got a strong case for it now, honestly. Um, all right, I'm gonna go with. All right, I'm gonna go with. It's gonna be a team wide one, and I'm gonna say the Patriots will finish with the worst scoring offense in the league. I almost said the worst statistical offense, but I think their run game is still going to yield a lot of yards. It's just Mac Jones is fine, and this is not an ending. This is nothing against him. It's just when you look at this offense, I mean, they are just not explosive. Their run game is solid, but I don't think they really have any stars. I like Damian Harris, but you could always get better at that position. Wide receiver. Jacoby Myers is fine, but he leaves much to be desired. Same for Kendrick Bourne, Nelson Aguilar. Uh, just, I'm not loving what the Patriots have right now. And then it hurts that they don't have an offensive coordinator, so you don't really know exactly what they're going to run. I'm just not sold on the Patriots being a really effective offense this year. And if I had to pick, they'll probably average maybe 12 points per game. They're going to try to beat you with their defense because I don't think their offense is going to do it. And I could be totally wrong, but I'm just – not sold. But, all right, let's go ahead and talk some preseason football. Last week, we finally got our first game. Saw the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars take the loss to the Las Vegas Raiders 27-11. to It was nice to get a taste. And now this week, every team will be in action. But, of course, we're not going to see every starter. So, even I'll give you a chance to look over the preseason, um, preseason schedule for the week. And um, my preseason game of the week is going to be the Seattle Seahawks versus the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, on the side of Seattle, we get to see what this defense looks like without Bobby Wagner. First time in over a decade that that's been the case. Then you look at their offensively. No Russell Wilson. Will it be Geno Smith or Drew Locke taking over? I'm sure, like I said, we're not going to see too many starters in action, but at least we'll be able to see the quarterback competitions on both teams. Then, of course, we get to see Kenny Pickett for the first time with the Steelers. How are they going to look? Their rookie wide receivers, Memphis man, Calvin Austin, then George Pickens, also defensively. So I think there's so many young players and so many in the quarterback competitions are what really helps make this game probably the most intriguing one for me. Um, for me, if we're going off of the games, it's listed. the one that's the most intriguing to me is the New York Jets versus the Philadelphia 76ers. I mean, not 76ers, oh my God, Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, and the reason I'm saying it is because we're going to have a battle of the trenches. You have a, a improved New York Jets offensive line versus a deep and versatile Philadelphia Eagles defensive line. And as a guy that loves the line competition, 
that's what's going to intrigue me, especially it's going to be the, you know, the debut of my guy, Jordan Davis. I'm going to, you know, I'm already getting a jersey. So I got you. All right, sounds good. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our game of believable or buffoonery. Let's take things to Cleveland where there is some drama there and no, not Deshaun Watson. Uh, Kareem Hunt, running back there, has been really productive, even though some injuries kind of kept him out a year ago. And he's saying that he wants a contract extension or he would like to be tra traded. Apparently, the team does not seem in a rush to do so, and thus he has formally requested a trade. But the team has apparently told him no. So, Ethan, I know it seems like running backs come a dime a dozen today, but believable or buffoonery, the Browns should give Kareem Hunt a contract extension. Buffoonery. I think, and the reason I'm saying this is because Kareem Hunt isn't even your top bet. Yes, he's incredibly great in what he does as being a a versatile back that can make kick, that can catch passes out of the backfield as well as run the football. But when you have a dominant running back that is Nick up, you can, and he's not that bad in the passing game himself, you could potentially bring in a guy whose sole purpose is to like be a change of pace back and to be a receiving back out of the backfield. And you, and you can do that without having an expensive price tag. So I'm going to say buffoonery. Yeah, I'm going to say buffoonery as well. I think that Kareem Hunt is very talented. And, I mean, there's a difference when he's on the field and when he's not on the field, especially if Nick Chubb is unavailable. But if you look at the Browns, I mean, they have a couple other running backs like Demetri Felton, Dionis Johnson, who can do similar things to Kareem Hunt and come at a much cheaper price tag. So because of that, and like you mentioned, Nick Chubb is obviously the guy in that offensive backfield. And so you just can't keep shelling out money to running backs, especially when you know that you they're maybe your second, third option on the offense. So, yeah, I'm going to say buffoonery as well. All right, let's talk about a quarterback who I know all too well, and that is Joe Flacco, who has bounced around a bit since being traded from the Baltimore Ravens to the Denver Broncos. And, however, his current head coach, Robert Sala of the New York Jets, believes that Joe Flacco still has some, still got some oomph to him. Uh, in a recent press conference, he said he could still start in this league. I believe that. Sometimes this league has a tendency to pigeonhole people or put labels on people, and then their opportunities get limited. But Joe Flacco is a starting quarterback in the league, which I've seen Joe Flacco start quite a bit. And... I'm I'm gonna side towards buffoonery. I think he's a nice, a great backup to have because he has so much starting experience. But what I want Joe Flacco starting for my team right now, if I need a quarterback, absolutely not. Uh, I'm going to say believable, but I'm going to say believable with this caveat. I could potentially see Joe Flacco starting for a team that has a really good offensive line because. His biggest flaw in a lot of portion of his career, which has been a flaw throughout his whole career, is, is that he isn't really that mobile. And if you put him behind a bad offensive line, that's you're asking, you're kind of setting him up for failure. But if you are a team like, let's say, uh, honestly, I can say the Jakes because they have an improved offensive line. Let's say Zach Wilson at least for the for a part of the season doesn't pan out the way that everyone thinks he is and he's going to actually regress instead of progress I could potentially see a situation to where you bring in a healthy Joe Flacco you 
put him behind that healthy and improved off the line. And I can see him actually thrive. So I'm going to say believable, but with the caveat of having a good old line that can protect him because he can't move. Well, he did start a few games last year for the Jets when Zach Wilson was out, so who knows? Maybe he'll get another opportunity. All right, let's talk about another player who it seems like opportunities are falling behind, and that's former first-round wide receiver Jalen Rager, who earlier in the season, um, Eagles head coach Nick Cerrone, I'm sorry, offseason, mentioned that Rager is fighting for a playoff spot, nonetheless a starting role. And However, there seems to be other teams around the league who are interested, uh, as reported by Jeff Mosher. Multiple teams are continuing to acquire about trading for Jalen Rager, as a former first-round pick has been involved in trade conversations all offseason. To which he said, I've heard teams have continued to call in just to check in. So, who knows? Believable or buffoonery. Jalen Rager would shine with the change of scenery. Uh, I'm going to say believable because I think they could, they root, that whole thing can apply to any player that switches teams because I think a lot of times when you have players that switch teams, they go to teams that genuinely want them and they genuinely invest in them and then you see them um, potentially become the player that a lot of people thought they were going to be. So I'm going to say believable. I'll say believable because I think that, kind of similar to the change of scenery, I think that just Jalen Rager, we all talk about it. I mean, he was picked before Justin Jefferson, and that's he's never going to be able to live that down. And because he's still with the Philadelphia Eagles, the team that made that pick, He's never going to live it down. Fans are always going to compare him to Justin Jefferson, and you know how Philly fans are. They can be brutal. So maybe going to a team where he's going to not have as many expectations or they don't have such a long-standing relationship with him, maybe that would actually be able to do him some good. So I think it – I would say believable. I think it worked out. All right, last piece before we move on to the NBA. Sammy Watkins, another wide receiver, he's kind of bounced around a bit, had some pretty – has had some pretty nice quarterbacks throw the ball to him. Patrick Mahomes for a number of years, uh, Lamar Jackson, and now Aaron Rodgers, to which he had some pretty high praise for him. He said, I think Patrick Mahomes is incredibly good, but Aaron Rodgers is on a whole another level so believable or buffoonery Patrick Mahomes has yet to surpass Aaron Rodgers in terms of being the better quarterback yes I think that the reason I I think that's believable is I mean buffoonery is that he hasn't passed Aaron Rodgers is because the thing that we've seen with Aaron Rodgers we haven't seen yet with Patrick Mahomes we've seen Aaron Rodgers go from situations to where you lose Donald Driver and Greg Jennings, and then you come up and you bring up Jordy Nelson and make him a top wide receiver. You lose Jordy Nelson and look, you look up and what happens? You have Devontae Adams as his top receiver. And granted, we are having those same kind of questions now. It's like, okay, who's the guy that's going to step up and going to become Aaron Rodgers number one? But the thing of it is, with Aaron Rodgers, you've had the one constant of, like, whenever he's under center, Grant, when whoever are his receivers, he finds ways to produce, he finds ways to win games. You don't have that luxury with Patrick Mahomes because Patrick Mahomes, at least for the early parts of his season, he's always had Tyreek Hill. He's always had um, Travis Kelsey. Now you're going to see in my opinion, like some of that first bit of adversity where it's like, 
okay, you don't have your true number one wide receiver that's, that has game-changing speed. Now you're going to have to actually, like, make reads and make things happen and spread the ball around. So it's going to be a different situation for Patrick Mahomes. So I definitely think that that's buffoonery. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's believable in terms of he's not better than Aaron Rodgers yet. I think that when we first saw Patrick Mahomes and he what his first full NFL season through for like 50 touchdowns, almost led his team to the Super Bowl, he was tremendous. It was like lightning in a bottle. However, as you mentioned, he's always kind of had the same supporting cast around him. One could argue that he's had a – no, I would say it. Since he's been in the league, he's had a better supporting cast than Aaron Rodgers has, just in top to bottom. Um, you get Tyreek Hill, you get Travis Kelsey. I mean, Travis Kelsey is better than any tight end that Aaron Rodgers has had in his entire career. And so I think that now we'll really start to see Patrick Mahomes be tested and see what life is like for him when he doesn't have as many weapons in his arsenal as opposed to Aaron Rodgers, where we've kind of gotten used to him not getting those first-round talented guys and kind of making them into those superstars, kind of like a Jordy Nelson, Greg Jennings, um, Devontae Adams, another kind of unknown. And, hell, even there are times where Alan Lazard looked really good when getting the ball thrown to Aaron Rodgers. So, yeah, I'm saying believable. I don't think Patrick Mahomes is better than Aaron Rodgers yet, but he definitely has potential to be, especially if he has a great year this year without Tyreek Hill in tow. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA. Let's talk about a young cat who has been making a lot of noise as of late, and that is Anthony Edwards, who, when asked about where he feels like he ranks among top players, he said, after this year, I'll think I'll be in the conversation for the best player. Those are some pretty strong words for the man entering his third season in the league, but realistically... We know that Anthony Edwards is pretty good. So where would you say that he has potential to rank at the end of this year? I don't think either of us would say number one, but I think the top 20 range is fair. Talking about for Anthony Edwards? Yeah. Uh, I'll go a little farther than top 20. I'll say top 15. That's fair. I think that it really kind of just comes down to is – is Minnesota finally ready to buy in so that he's the guy? Because it's clear that they still want to make Cat the guy and want everything to run through him, but the team is notably more success- successful with Ant. So I feel like if they start running the ball and running the game more through Ant, I think you can't reach that top 15, top 20 range. But if not, I think that it's going to be one of those things where he's not able to really reach his full potential just yet. But continuing on a conversation of young guys – uh, Doc Rivers, he's been around for quite a while, but has some really strong words to say about his player, Tyrese Maxey, who balled out at times. It looked like the second best player for the 76ers during stretches. In an interview on Vince Carter's show, he said, he's the most impressive young player I've ever had in 21 years of coaching. His work ethic, Vince, is beyond belief. And mind you, but Doc Rivers has been around some pretty talented players in his day. So, Ethan, with that pretty much height, do you think that Tyrese Maxey is de- destined for stardom? Oh, uh, yeah. I think, in my mind, it was solidified these past uh, playoffs where I think it was against Miami where James Harden obviously underperformed. And you had a banged up Joel Embiid, so he wasn't at the top of his game. And, like, the only constant was Tyrese Maxey. And he stepped up and he produced basically every game in the series. 
So I definitely think that he has a bright future ahead of him, too. Yeah, I'm really excited to see what he's going to be able to do. I know that, you know, James Harden is getting healthier and he's getting into more shape, but still, just in terms of offensive production, I think that we're still going to see more from Tyrese Maxey, and he's going to really explode, especially because I hate to be the bear. I hate to think of it in a negative light, but I mean, between James Harden and Joel Embiid, we've seen that they're not the healthiest players on the court, no matter how good they are, and they're bound to miss some action, whether at the same time or one at a time. Either way, at some point, one of them is not going to be on the court, which I think is going to allow Tyrese Maxey to ball out even more. But all right, let's talk about somebody who has been balling out his entire career, and that's LeBron James, who is reported that uh, this past Thursday was eligible to sign a two-year, $97.1 million contract extension with the Los Angeles Lakers, which is quite a bit of money. While it seems like a done deal that he will eventually sign an extension, Ethan, do you think that there's a chance that he won't? And if so, what do you think that reason would be? Um, I think the only reason he might not sign is because he honestly thinks that he can't be a championship level team with the Lakers. And because we all know that LeBron loves LA for all reasons outside of basketball. But at the end of the day, we know that LeBron's at the point in his career where he's playing for his legacy. So, um, to not for his legacy, but to end, like cement it, I guess. Yeah, cement it. I'm sorry. So I think that would be the only thing. One of the only uh, a few ways he can further cement his legacy is the primary one is to potentially win another championship. And with the current Lakers roster, eh, that's a toss up. So I mean, you have another team that he formerly played for. I mean, this is hometown. The Cleveland Cavaliers who have a a very intriguing roster so you could potentially go back home and maybe win another championship in Cleveland. Uh, I don't think that the Cavs are there yet in terms of being a champ, even if they do get LeBron. But I think that it would be a It'd be a hell of an ending to his career if he does go back to Cleveland and goes out with the ring. But, I mean, yeah, I don't think that – I mean, if you're LeBron, where are you really going to go? Like, we're having trouble kind of play, finding a place for Kevin Durant, which we'll get to soon. And so, if you're LeBron, what, where do you go? I mean, the teams that are contenders, they're contenders – without you we see that with the Warriors I mean we're seeing that around what teams across the board so it's like I don't know like you mentioned there's just so many things outside of the basketball court that LA provides that other places don't to where it's like it wouldn't really make that much sense like if he wants to just go to another big market the only market that can compare to the Lakers is going to the Knicks and I doubt he'd want to go to a Knicks because we talk about the Lakers and how they're not in necessarily great shape. The Knicks really aren't either. So I don't think that that would make the most sense. So I think he's going to end up signing it. The only pushback I think would be like if he legitimately wants to play with Bronny, that may be the only thing that would keep him from like finishing his career in L.A. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to some free agency talk. Let's start off with Kevin Durant because – even after a few weeks, and it seems that not much trade traction has been going on. Uh, earlier today, KD apparently reiterated his desire to be traded. And according to Shams, uh, has pretty much made it a, it's me or 
I'm gone situation. Um, he pretty much said that they have to choose between either him or the pairing of Sean Marks and Steve Nash if he wants to stay. And Ethan, in your opinion, in your opinion, who do you think ends up staying? Kevin Durant or Nash and Marks? I think it's KD because this is in the NBA is different than the NFL, where in the NBA, a lot of times, more times than not, the players they win those um those battles. And when you have a guy like Steve Nash, who in a lot of people's minds have underperformed as a head coach with the levels of talent that he's had, it could be an easy, smooth transition. But like, okay, well, it's a he had a great roster. Obviously, he's not a great head coach. And as far as the uh, the front office, Sean Marks, he just can get added in that crossfire. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, especially because you kind of made the comparison between the NFL and the NBA. The NFL is a final roster of 53 people. Basketball, I think it's, what, 15 on the final roster? It's not very big. So you value your stars way more in, ba- in basketball than you typically do in football. And so if Kevin Durant says, I'll stay, but these two people got to go, I mean, they found Steve Nash out of virtually nowhere because he wasn't coaching anywhere before. You can find a new head coach, and you can find a new general manager. So I'm in agreement with you. I do think that Kevin Durant is the one who ends up staying. By continuing on with the free agency's buzz, well, you kind of mentioned Cle- Cleveland a little bit ago. It seems like they're having a few conversations with a former um, first-round guard, Colin Sexton. However, they cannot seem to agree on terms. Sexton wants a deal where he's making around $20 million a year, whereas the Cavs are trying to offer a three-year $40 million contract. Ethan, in your opinion, is Colin Sexton worth $20 mil a year? Because for me, it's a hard no. Even by basketball no, I, standards. Yeah, I know. Like, he hasn't, since he's been in the league, he's had, like, really good moments. But those, he had, like, that one stretch where I believe he was averaging 25, shooting over 40% from three and, like, 50% from the field. But since the, he's been injured in the emergence of Darius Garland, he hasn't really shown much. I understand that he might just need his own team to where he's the guy that's running the show, but I don't think he'll get the opportunity with twenty for twenty million a year. Yeah, absolutely not. And I mean, especially with Cleveland, because they showed this past year that they don't need him. In fact, they played better when he wasn't on the court. So they're definitely not going to be the ones to give him that much money, and I don't think anybody else really would. And like I said, by basketball standards, because it feels like people are getting $15, 20000000 million contracts all the time, but I don't think Colin Sexton has necessarily proven himself to be worthy of it. So I think that all in all, even if it's not with Cleveland, he's going to probably sign a deal that's closer to that three-year, 40 range, or probably maybe a two-a-year prove-it deal and go from there. But, all right, let's go ahead and talk about our favorite teams because there's always room for improvement, and there are still some solid free agents out there. So what we are going to do is I'm going to list off the top ten available free agents according to CBS Sports, and you're going to let me know which two you would want to sign in Memphis. All right? All right. So, all right, so there's Montrez Harrell, Carmelo Anthony, Eric Bledsoe, DeMarcus Cousins, Avery Bradley, Dwight Howard, Lou Williams, Isaiah Thomas, Dennis Schroeder, LaMarcus Aldridge. You're the 
uh, Grizzlies GM, you got to sign two of them. Which one would you sign? Oh, hmm. I think I would sign Melo. He's a, he, at this point in his career, he plays power forward primarily. And he's a guy that can stretch the court so he can get space and for job. Um, and I think I'll sign Munchers because he's a, he's another like low volume player. You don't have to really run in many plays for him. You can just run pick and rolls. And he's a guy that could potentially come off the bench as a backup big and he doesn't necessarily have to start. Yeah, I feel you on that. Um, I mean, most of his career he didn't start, and he was pretty productive. Yeah, I'm going to go with Boogie. Um, the Lakers definitely need some depth at big. I mean, we could bring back Dwight Howard, but it's a it's a pass for me. And I think that Boogie has really shown that he can still be effective in those low-volume situations, a la his time with the Bucks and this past year with the Denver Nuggets. So I think that he could be efficient in L.A. And then I'd also bring back Dennis Schroeder. I mean, I think that Dennis Schroeder – his time with the Lakers goes a bit under the radar just because, I mean, he wasn't that super flashy guy. He wasn't averaging 20 points a game, but he really helped make our bench a lot more suitable than what it was a year ago. And, I mean, him and uh, him and Russ may have beef, but they all have to suck it up because we need help at points. So those will be the two I would sign. All right, let's go ahead and play our game of believable or before. And we're going to start off with D'Angelo Russell, who talked about the current state of the NBA and said via Twitter, the NBA is full of athletes, not basketball players. Hashtag respectfully. Believable or buffoonery. Is that true? Uh, no. I'm going to say buffoonery. I think that the difference is that the NBA has a lot of superior athletes compared to other leagues. But the NBA also has a lot of great basketball players. Like, for instance, you, the one, the first ones that they come to my mind are Luca and Nicole Yotes. They obviously aren't the greatest athletes, but they're, because they're so supremely skilled, that's why they're the top players in the league. And then you do have guys that are supremely athletic and supremely skilled. One of them being a guy, in my opinion, like Anthony Edwards, his teammate. He's a supreme athlete, but he's he's also a supremely skilled basketball player. So I'm going to have to say buffoonery. Yeah, I'll say buffoonery as well. I think that rather than just saying there's more athletes than basketball players, I think this is just the most athletic group of basketball players that we've seen in a long time, as opposed to just being athletic guys who just decide to hoop. All right, so speaking of guys who can't wait till he decides to hoop, Ben Simmons missed all of last year dealing with the back issue, expected to come back um, at the start of this upcoming season healthy, and we all have talked about it, the need for a jump shot. However, his teammate Seth Curry said that's not necessarily the case. He said, I don't think he needs a jump shot. He's just got to do what he does best, which is defend, rebound, push the ball, and make plays for other people and attack the rim. So, believable or buffoonery, Ben Simmons does not need to develop a jump shot to be successful. I don't think so. I mean, if in my personal opinion, you look at a guy like Giannis, who, yes, he's a better shooter, but he's not a great shooter, and he's been successful. Um, I think that 
I agree where if he focuses on the things that he's great at doing and he maximizes those skills. And granted, if he I think the thing with him is it's not him developing a shot, but him just potentially taking shots. Yeah. Like, because, I mean, like Giannis, he isn't that great of a shooter, but he actually takes shots. And he doesn't take that many, but, like, he's willing to expand his range. I think the thing with Ben Simmons is, like, bro, when you step on the court, everybody knows, like, hey, we can sag five feet off you, and you won't even pull up. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm gonna say be- believable as well. Not, I don't think he'll become a absolute superstar because I don't think he has the tools that Giannis has. But I do think that he can still be really effective. I think that, I think in today's NBA, we're just so focused on how many points a player puts up and how they're able to do it and if they can shoot from long range, things like that. And that's just not Ben Simmons's game. However, we've seen that he can be effective. We have seen that he can. Ha- in times with San Francisco 76ers where he did help the team pull out wins, even if he did not play exactly in the parameters of what we expect superstar players in the league. If you're waiting for him to become a Kevin Durant type guy, he's never going to be that. And that's okay. Like you mentioned, Giannis will probably be a better example for him to strive for, especially if he does start just trying to take those shots as opposed to just passing the ball off all the time, which is why he got so much criticism in his final uh, playoff run with the Philadelphia 76ers. All right, just a couple more before we close out this bad boy. DeJounte Murray, who may currently be in the news right now with his beef with current first overall pick, Paolo Banchero of the Orlando Magic. But he also has some pretty positive things to say with regards to his NBA brothers who said to my NBA brothers if you healthy and love hooping man get out to these pro-am games so these kids and people who can't afford to see us will be able to see us for free this summer probably to my memory is the most I've seen current NBA players participating in pro-am games so Ethan believable or buffoonery NBA players should make pro-am games a bigger part of their offseason I think so they have um, especially just if they know that they're willing to put the work in to improve their craft, I definitely think they should because like DeJounte and even Draymond Green said, like, there's a lot of people that are major fans of basketball that just simply, they simply can't afford to see a LeBron or a DeMar or even a DeJounte or Apollo in the NBA and like those free Pro-Am games can be like the highlight of not even their summer but some of those guys' lives. So I definitely think that this should be something that guys do, especially if it's a situation to where you aren't going hard in those games. Yeah, I feel you on that. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you as well. I mean, it's just something fun to do. I understand some people have other prior obligations and stuff like that, but I mean, might as well. It's only, what, an hour or so of your time get to give back to the community, play for people. I mean, especially like DeJounte said, if you love the game, might as well just have some fun. And I think in the case of, like, DeJounte and other guys, like, who are just now meeting their teammates or, like, on new teams, this is a great way for you to build that chemistry with your teammates. So once the season rolls around, it's nothing with regards to communication. So, yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I think it's believable. All right, last piece. Now, you know me. I get very sensitive when it comes to Kobe Bryant comparisons, but 
This one is a this one's a bit interesting. Lakers current assistant coach Phil Handy had this to say about Kyrie Irving. He said, "If Kyrie was six six, you would see Kobe mirrored back at you. Is that believable or buffoonery?" If Kyrie was six six, he would mirror Kobe. Yeah. Um, from a skill standpoint, yes. From a mentality standpoint, no. I'm going to say buffoonery because, and not just from, like, the skills. I think that's, and stylistically, yeah, sure, offensively, I do think they could both be the same guy. But I think what people seem to forget when it comes to Kobe is that he was also one of the greatest defenders the NBA has seen in terms of being a guard. I mean, he was, what, a 12-time All-NBA defensive first-teamer? Like, you don't get that by accident. Kyrie Irving, we talk about just how amazing he is on offense and how he's just a wizard with the ball, blah, blah, blah. But defensively, he doesn't get that same regard. And so because of that, I don't think if you're going to make a Kobe comp, we talk about the highlight plays and the game winners and the dunks and all that. But we also can't forget that Kobe Bryant was a stalwart defensively. And if you're not awesome offensively and a stalwart defensively, I can't I can't give you the comp, but I think offensively at least Kyrie has is a better comparison than some other players that I've seen. But that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please be sure to check out the export.net. I repeat the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. For our fantasy football fans, we will be having our fantasy football guide coming out later this week, probably around, let's say Friday, Thursday or Friday. It will be up. Um, that's all. Friday will also be when we're having our fantasy football draft, which I'm really excited for. Preseason football, we're just a month away from everything getting kicked off, so I can't wait. I cannot wait. Ethan, you want to add anything before we get out of here? Uh, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to fantasy football. Uh, I think it's going to be really fun this year, and I'm just excited to get a chance to watch like some preseason games. This upcoming week of, and if you play me in fantasy, if I talk trash, don't get mad. Yeah, it's nothing personal. It's just fantasy football. That's all. We just, we're all competitive. We all want to win. And that's what makes it fun. But yeah, so once again, thank you guys so much for listening. And we will see you all next time.